was seconds. <laughs> praise God, praise God. Wow, you guys are eager, hungry for the word. Amen. Amen, praise God. Well, um, afternoon everyone. Uh, I'm Ephraim, for those who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here, and it's a blessing to be um, opening the Bible and sharing the word of the Lord uh, this afternoon. Uh, here at Ecclesia, one of the things that we endeavor to do is to just try and get to know God through the Bible. And we do that by going through the Bible um, in its context. So from week to week, we will go through chapter or part of a chapter, and then the next week we'll pick up from where we left off and go on to the next section. And at the moment, we are going through the book of Luke, uh, the, the gospel according to Luke. And there's a sense in which uh, Luke is presenting to us Jesus, and not just presenting Jesus as a person, but fundamentally presenting Jesus as humanity's only hope. We go through life and we um, have all kinds of aspirations. We go through all kinds of challenges. We experience all kinds of trials and can find ourselves often in that place where we're saying, what is this all about? Are things ever going to be better? Are we ever going to get progress? Whether it's for us personally or for our community, for our families, or for just the world as a whole. And in the Bible, we see that there is no hope apart from Jesus. If there's nothing else you take away from today, I would hope that you take away the truth that there is no hope apart from Jesus. And, you know, life offers all kinds of alternatives as possibilities. Get a great education. Um, you know, get money, become respected, be successful. And yet, none of those things provide ultimate hope for us as individuals or for humanity as a whole. And so, (laughs) you know, there have been those people who have said, we live in modern times and we need to make the Bible relevant. The Bible couldn't be more relevant because as humans, we all experience trial, we all go through sufferings, we all face death. We all are in need of hope. And so the Bible couldn't be more relevant. I think the challenge often is not uh, making the Bible relevant, but being able to relate the Bible to people in ways that they can understand and relate to. We're reading a book that's 2,000 years old and in a different part of the world, from a different part of the world. And so for us sitting here in Lewisham in 2023, how do we make that connection? Well, the primary thing we understand is that the Bible is timeless truth. It's timeless truth. The Bible don't need to change with the times because the Bible is greater than time itself. It comes from outside of time, and it is true for all times. And so we don't make any apologies for being Bible people, because through it, God has revealed himself. And although, you know, we could really kind of orchestrate an experience where we come and we're 
um, emotionally supercharged and, and, we, and we touch the ceiling and run out walking on air and knowing that, especially having been in those environments, by, by Wednesday come, what do they call it, hump day, that's way behind you and, and you are very much in the reality of your everyday week. And so it takes more than an emotional experience to keep us and to sustain us and to strengthen us to face the week that is ahead of us, the life that is ahead of us. Those things are good. I'm not rubbishing those things. But we cannot live on a diet of those things. It's like drinking super malt and only getting froth. Now some of you are looking at me and saying, who drinks super malt? <laughs> 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 drinking beer and, and just, you know when they pour beer they try, they pour beer to make sure they're as little froth as possible because froth is just air bubbles drinking Guinness or whatever your tipple might be the reality is that we can't survive on froth we need substance to keep us and so uh, Let's dive into the word today as we look at the book of Luke and um, consider what is before us. We are in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, and um, loose titles, it was quite hard to title today, maybe I'll get a better title by the end of the morning, but it was quite hard to title, but I think that there's a, a, a sense in which we are um, considering the followers of the king, the followers of the king. We're looking at Luke chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 37 to 62. I'm going to read the sections as we go along um, because it's a, a number of verses. So I'm going to take it in three sections. Um, and the three sections will look like this. Verses 37 to 45 where we'll consider the cosmic conflict and crucifixion prediction. Uh, and then secondly, we'll look at Christian community. What does it mean to be citizens, citizen kingdoms? Verses 46 to 56. And then the final section, counting the costs, verses 57 to 62. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come together with freedom, without fear. Uh, and we think of our brothers and sisters around the world who all now, they're not able to come together in your name. They're not able to gather freely. They're not able to come and sit with your word on their lap. In fact, having a whole complete version of your Bible is actually forbidden. And they don't have that. And yet, Lord, you've given us that freedom. And we thank you. And we ask that, Lord, you would help us by your spirit who is present to engage with you, to learn of you, to be transformed by, by you as we engage with your word today. Thank you for preserving your word to us. Thank you for giving your spirit by whom you can help us to understand your word. You are out of this world. We could never understand you with our own minds. But with your help, we can. 
And we ask for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we um, jump into Luke chapter 9 at this point, um, we're jumping into a change of the story of Jesus as Luke is telling it. Up to now, Luke has introduced Jesus, his person and his ministry. And having done so, uh, his, his mission's been outlined. We now get to this point where we join Jesus as he begins to journey toward Jerusalem. As he journeys to Jerusalem. And um, this is a snapshot from a, a freely available YouTube video created by the Bible Project, where it gives you, give us an overview of the book of Luke in, in two parts, in two videos. And so this is a snapshot from the beginning of the second video. I'd definitely recommend one that you read along during the week as we're going through the Bible, and two, allow these resources from the Bible Project to help bring it to life um, for you, uh, freely available on YouTube. And um, you'll see there, it says we're in uh, chapters 9b, and going right through to chapter 19, and the first part of chapter 19, it focuses on the journey to Jerusalem. It says there that it consists mostly of Jesus' parables and teaching on the road. We thought that it was only today that Mandama on the road. <laughs> But Jesus is on the road. He's a road man. Yeah, with, the, with his followers. And one of the things that immediately this really helps to encourage us is that often Christianity is defined as a destination that we're trying to arrive at. We, we want to get to the end of the journey. We want, we want to get to the destination, and it's almost as if everything else in between don't matter. Like, once you've accepted Jesus, thank you, Lord. My insurance card's been ticked. I know that any time that I check out, I'm going to get to the destination. In the meantime, I do what I want. But Christianity isn't so much merely a destination. It is that. But it's also the journey to that destination, that is so important because as one of my favorite MCs once said, who's no longer in the game, it's not just where the journey takes you, but it's the person that the journey makes you. Come on, tell me if that's not a bar. It's not just where the journey takes you, it's the person that the journey makes you. And we see that as Jesus is discipling his followers, he's doing it as on-the-job training. He didn't just send them to seminary, or as some would say, cemetery, <laughs> and have them just sit down taking classes. He didn't just hold seminars, but he was out in active service and had them come along with him because our experience as those who are seeking to follow the king is such that we gain through experience. We learn and we grow and we are shaped, not just through sitting down and learning. And you know, some have criticized Christian life today and churchmanship today 
because it's just a series of meetings, particularly in the West, where it's, we just kind of sit down in rows like this and we listen. And there's a sense in which we kind of have Greek culture to, to thank for that. Because with Greek philosophy, Plato and Socrates, they were just used to kind of sitting down and listening and taking it in from the great guru, the great teacher. And yet Jesus, contrary to what some say, is more than a great teacher. He is one who is purposed to transform us, not just educate us, to transform us. And that transformation comes through us journeying with Jesus. So let's journey with Jesus. We're in uh, chapter 9. And as we turn to verse 37, in the previous section, Jesus has predicted his death. And he has been transfigured. He glowed before them. His glory couldn't be contained. It burst out of his human suit, as it were. And Peter and John witnessed this as Elijah and Moses were beside him. And so they've just seen this tremendous display of glory. And this is where we are in verse 37. The next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing... Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So in this section, we, too, we see two points to note, two points highlighted to us. Firstly, this man came with his son who was possessed by a demon. And this demon was terrorizing this child's life, terrorizing this family. And he brought him to Jesus to be healed, to be delivered. Now, 
Some commentators who have taken time to kind of go through the scriptures and try and explain what's going on have said in times past, well, you know, what we're seeing here is an expression of mental illness, but because they were unlearned people, they just had to put it in terms that would kind of make sense to them. And so therefore, all of this talk about demon possession, well, really, um, we know better. It wasn't really that. Listen, there isn't any of us that can know better than Jesus. His resurrection from the dead has demonstrated and proven that. And so where we see Jesus responding to this matter and addressing a spiritual being that is present in this child's life, terrorizing it, we can understand and, and be confident that actually there are such things as demons. Time doesn't permit. Oh, Lord. Time doesn't permit for us to explore that subject in its fullness. There may be times in your life when you've kind of felt like, you know what? There is something more going on here than meets the eye. There's something more to this situation. There's something more to this picture than meets the eye. It feels like there's some otherworldly powers at work in this situation or scenario. There are those of you who may have even said, you know what? I can't lie. There have been those times where I can swear that I have encountered evil itself. It might have been a person who was just so dark and malicious Somebody who was behaving out of control and in ways that were just inexplicable. It's reasonable that we might think that way because as the Bible clearly shows us in the situation, there are such things as demons just as well as there are such things as angels. And in a highly, intellectual society, highly intellectualized society, we can find ourselves in a place where we commit the, the, the fatal flaw of ignoring the realities of the spiritual realm, even as Christians. But these things are a reality. And it is a flaw for us to think and carry on as if they don't mean anything. They, they say that the greatest uh, achievement of the devil was to convince people that he doesn't exist. But the devil does, and what we see in scripture is that the devil has a, a host or a company of spirit beings, which the Bible will call demons or unclean spirits. And they are at work in this world in different ways. And in this instance, we see that it was visibly and openly terrorizing this child. Now, looking at this situation, some might say, well, you know what? It does kind of bear some resemblance 
to some of those situations where I've seen people with really severe mental health issues. And so does that suggest that actually those issues are caused by demons? And the answer is no. Because not every sickness, whether mental or physical, is caused by demons. But some are. And we don't have the, the ability in our own mind and strength to try and identify which is which. Apart from the Lord gives us discernment to understand that. And often that will come over a period of time, not just an instant revelation. A lot of people have claimed to have discernment when really they're just speculating. And so let's not find ourselves in a place where we kind of take on this idea that, well, God's given me the gift of discernment. And that means that any situation I find myself in, I'm going to be able to discern. And I'm going to be able to see into the realm of the spirit and understand exactly what's going on. No. And we see this with the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He was there preaching the gospel and there was a woman with a, a familiar spirit who was following him. And as she was following him, she was saying true truths. She was saying right things. She was saying, this man is of God. Listen to him. And yet she kept following him to the point when Paul realized something weren't right with this picture. It wasn't an instant situation. Paul realized, actually, this woman is possessed with a familiar spirit. And he cast the spirit out of her. And so even the great apostle Paul, with the depth of his relationship with the Lord and the amazing insights and revelation that he received from Christ, he didn't, quote-unquote, discern instantly what was going on. And so we ought to be cautious we ought not to say everything is just down to a demon. I remember growing in the faith and everything was, there was a demon behind every issue, behind every bush, behind every door was a demon. And so we would be there praying against the demon of smoking, the demon of drinking. I mean, it was interesting because we never got to the demon of, of obesity and gluttony, uh, I'd have to start looking at myself. <laughs> but every situation we're there. And you know what? I can't lie, it was tiring. Seriously, it was tiring. You know, we, would, we were taught that you would, um, you would bind the demons. And so, you know, we would, we would bind the demons over Soho because this was what we were taught in spiritual warfare. And, and obviously, after you bound, then you're to loose as well. This was, was how the theory went. And you would loose um, freedom, and you would loose... And 
I got to a point where one day I sat down and I said to myself, there's a lot of problems with this approach that I'm taking. So hold on a second. If, if these demons are actually bound, as in they are restricted, they are um, uh, shackled, they, how, however you want to describe it, they are no longer able to function in the way that is suggested, then why haven't all of the sex shops, and this was back in the day when there were sex shops and so on, why haven't all of those sex shops closed? And why haven't all of the, the ladies of the night that were working in there and all of the proprietors and the pimps, why haven't they all come to Christ? Furthermore, if those demons were truly bound, how long, do they, how long are they bound for before they're able to free themselves? I mean, it, it posed a lot of questions. And, you know, we have to be willing to ask the questions. As a side note, we see at the end of this section here that the disciples weren't willing to ask Jesus what he was talking about. Notice verse 45. They didn't understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. It's not that they couldn't ask him, but they wouldn't ask him. As Christians, we must be ready and willing to ask the questions. Because you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so as I began to question that whole approach to ministry and spiritual warfare and so on, the Lord helped me arrive at a place that was more balanced, a place that was, was, was more stable and sturdy and consistent with the scriptures. Not everything is caused by a demon. Some things are. But the most important thing is that we don't do what was, I was often guilty of in those days, and that's glorifying the devil as if he's greater than God. Because when you're talking about the devil and demons all of the time, fundamentally what you're doing is you're taking up airtime that should be used for glorifying God. Amen. And fundamentally and indirectly, all we're doing is glorifying the devil by giving him so much attention, so much airtime. You know, there's two proverbs. One says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Son's going on with something foolish. You know what? Just ignore them. Leave them. Get on with your life. But then there's another proverb almost immediately after that says, answer a fool according to his folly. And it feels like it's contradictory. So what am I supposed to do, Lord? This is one of them contradictions in the Bible. Don't answer or answer. You're telling me to do both. Well, both can be true but they don't have to be at the same time. It's just a matter of timing. More time you will ignore the folly of some, the foolishness. And yet, there will be those times when actually you need to stop and address the foolishness. And so then the prayer is, Lord, give me wisdom to know the right time to give the right response. Because Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So we don't have to walk around, and you don't hear us here 
talking about the devil and demons constantly and so on, that doesn't mean that we're not aware that he exists and that he seeks to harass people and he seeks to hinder the work of God. But as we see, Jesus is greater. The disciples couldn't deal with it. Despite the fact that they had been walking with him. And yet Jesus could. And Jesus ultimately has. This is the same Jesus who the man came and he said, Look at my son, for he is my only child. This was the only child of this father. And yet he was coming to the heavenly father's only begotten son. And as he came to the only begotten son, that his son would be delivered, we recognize that Jesus himself is the one who knew no sin and yet was made sin that we might be the righteousness of God. And so he swallowed sin in its entirety and yet conquered it, conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered hell, death, and the grave. Jesus is the ultimate. And this only begotten son, Jesus Christ, didn't just deliver this man's only son, but he provides deliverance and freedom for all who believe in him. You know, uh, Calvary Chapel, um, as, a, as a, a church network started back in the 70s, there's a film that kind of depicts an expression of what God was doing in that time in California. And, and we're a part of that network um, uh, through relationship. And um, one of the things about the, 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 what they call the Jesus movement in the 70s, when the church was started was the fact that you had people coming out of absolutely mad lifestyles. I mean, people who would just binge on drugs for weeks, for months. This was the hippie movement when it was all about flower power and free love and taking whatever substances, whether it's mushrooms, LSD, like whatever drugs they had going then, that's what they was taking. And you read of how um, there's, there's a book called Harvest that tells the story. You can find it on Amazon that tells the story. And it's got such powerful testimonies in there. People who were addicted to drinking and to drugs and who, by their own admission, were living such demonic lifestyles. And yet the Lord set them free. And it wasn't through them going to a deliverance ministry. It was through them continuing under the word of the Lord as people actually stepped out in boldness to reach them with the gospel and to open the word and they continued. They began to see transformation in their life. Not because an anointed man of God came into town and held a crusade, but because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
And so Jesus gives this display of power. He's just come back from the mountain. He's revealed his glory on the mountain. Now he's revealed his, his glory in the face of cosmic um, opposition. And they're marveling. They're all astounded yet again. And yet, as they marveled, Jesus wanted to help them understand, look, this opposition that I'm facing, this, this demonic opposition will take other forms. And, and this is one of the things that I think as Christians we often lose sight of. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that Satan is the god of this world. Elsewhere in scripture he's called the prince of the power of the air. And he is the spirit now at work in the children of disobedience. And so all of those ideas and views that oppose God and that exist in our society and that are going viral and that people are buying into, all of these things fundamentally find their origin in Satan. He is the God of this world and he is at work in the sons of disobedience. And as Jesus says to them in this instance, listen carefully, look, listen properly. Let these words sink into your, hear me good what I'm saying to you. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. It's like if you think this opposition, this revelation of a, a demon manifesting itself and I'm having to conquer it, it's taking a, this opposition is going to take a different form. It's no less demonic. And yet, it's these same dark spirits that will be influencing the very religious leaders that everybody looked up to. Imagine that. <clears throat> the next section. Verses... 46 to 56. They didn't get what he was saying, and yet they've just been in a challenging situation. Let's see how they respond. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Now, bearing in mind, you kind of think this is almost like a random occurrence. Jesus has just done this mighty expression of deliverance. He's just revealed his glory. And now they're focused on who's great among them. And yet Jesus has, has just had to rebuke them for their dullness. And you've got a group of men who've been brought together. Some, you've got a couple of pairs of brothers in there and so on. But largely, they were not people as a whole that would have necessarily frequented each other's company. 
They weren't, they weren't like a whole friendship circle. You Galilee guys, you, you guys are... All of you just come and follow me. I've got something for you to do. You had some who were like James and John brothers, uh, maybe a couple relatives, but largely this was a, a group of people that had been handpicked by Jesus and brought together, some of whom didn't have anything in common. Matthew, the tax collector, they all despised him. He was a traitor. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in those situations where you've been in a kind of a recruitment um, exercise where you're sitting there with other recruits. And, and, you, and, you, and you basically now got to go through this exercise and you know that you're sitting with your competition. And you've got to demonstrate how worthy you are to be picked. And I kind of felt like, hmm, there's definitely a way in which they could have been feeling like this as they were journeying together. It's easy in a scenario like that to get into a conversation about who's better than who. Especially if you're prideful and vain. And I know that none of us are like that, are we? Not at all. See, the thing is, unlike them, we don't say it, but we think it. You know when you're at work and you're, and you're, you're working with that person and you're just like, why are they even in this job? Furthermore, how is it that they're my boss? I have to give them all the answers. I have to show them what to do. I mean, I might as well just be in that position. Boss turns around. Um, are you able to work? Yes, of course, no problem. We're not going to say anything, but we're going to think it. Human nature. You see, maybe there was a kind of sense among them having been rebuked by Jesus. You guys are not on a, on a level. I mean, I have to do everything. Imagine how belittling that must have felt. Oh, man, flopped. He expected that we would have been able to step up and deal with that one. Yeah, well, it weren't my fault. No, man, because it was his fault. I'm better than him still anyway. So they're there debating who's the greatest. Seeking respect. And yet Jesus brings a child among them and says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. <clears throat> There's one thing in life when you have somebody who's more experienced, they're an elder, they've, you know, they've achieved certain things in life, and they want to tell you something about yourself. They've got some wisdom, they've got some advice, they've got, mm, we'd be more inclined to listen. But as a generalization, receiving advice, wisdom, direction, actually receiving anything from a child can be considered something that, was be that is beneath us. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you can receive this child in my name, notice that, in my name, you're receiving me. To what extent will our pride allow us to receive from a child in the name of the Lord? I know as a parent, um, growing children in a Christian home, that's been a challenge for me, even to this day. Just because one of my daughters is sitting there, I'm trying not to look at her. 
But it's been a challenge for me. Because certain times, my children have had to tell me about myself. <laughs> and, you know, the reality is that when I sit back, as, as hard as it might be to hear, when I sit back and I listen to what they have to say, and I weigh it up against the truth of God's word, which often it's been an expression of that truth that they've been bringing to me. I have to humble myself and say, you know what? It's, it's not a, I, I can't shoot the messenger because truly the message is from God. Sometimes it's been hard to go back and say sorry. To swallow my spit. And yet, whoever receives a child in the name of the Lord, the Lord said, receives him. And it is in that picture of humility that we see the greatness of the followers of Christ. Kingdom citizens are those who are marked by humility. Genuine humility. A, a humility that doesn't seek respect for our own name, but seeks the honor of the Lord's name even at the expense of our own name. Now imagine, Jesus has just said, receive a child in my name. Look at what happens next. We can see that these disciples, let's be encouraged. We might feel like we don't really get it quite often, right? These disciples just didn't get it. Moving on. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons, what? In your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow where? With us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messages ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven? And these are the ones that couldn't face the demon in Jesus, now their, their, their chest is broad. We were going to call down fire from heaven huh? and consume them. But he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. And so the ones that they were meant to accept, they wouldn't. And the ones who rejected the Lord, they had no compassion or concern for. We see this person and he's casting out demons in the name of the Lord. Furthermore, he's doing what they couldn't do. Wow, talk about rub your face in it. And in their pride, they want to ban him. They want to cancel him because he's not part of their congregation. This is a real lesson to us. Because not everyone's Christianity is going to look like ours. Now, hear me right. 
That doesn't give license for people to just live anyhow they like and call it Christianity. This individual that they saw was going forward in the name of the Lord. And he was doing what the Lord had sent them to do. So he was moving in accordance with God's purposes and accordance with the word of the Lord. But he wasn't doing it with them. He wasn't part of their group. And so there will be those others who are not a part of our expression of church, our, our approach to churchmanship. And yet they genuinely call on the name of the Lord and they're genuinely seeking to serve him. And it may not look like how we would do things. That doesn't mean that we're to just write them off. Try and cancel them and ban them or not view them or regard them as brothers or sisters. But the encouragement is, and I know especially the case for us, you know, over the years, there were so many people who just kind of looked at us as a church, looked at us as leaders, as write-offs. You guys, you, you do rap for the Lord? What kind of unholy... That's, you, you can't do that. You're not serious. You, you, you preach in the pulpit and, and you wear a hat? God forbid. I, I remember when I started to use a laptop technology, it, it felt like I was swimming into the Red Sea. The way in which it, the, the tide, of, even in our own church, people were giving me side eye like, what happened to your paper Bible and notes? What a start talk about Apple and the, the symbol and it's, it's of the devil, you know. And so there are going to be expressions of Christianity that will look at us with side eye and different. But you don't have to be discouraged by that. We're not here for the approval of others. We're here for the Lord's approval. And likewise, others don't exist for our approval. Romans 14. One man says one day is holy. Another man says every day is holy. Who are you to judge another man's servant? He lives unto the Lord. You live unto the Lord. So mind your business. That's the paraphrase. Mind your business. And yet, there will be those who reject the Lord, even to the point where it causes us to feel real indignation. And that's not a bad thing that we feel righteous indignation. Yet nonetheless, we're to be compassionate. Because as long as there is life, there is hope. Now, which people were these? This is the Samaritans. We... We don't know historically in terms of the time frame whether this was before Jesus met the woman at the well or after Jesus met the woman at the well. 
But in the next chapter, Jesus is going to say something about the Samaritans that is a challenge and a rebuke to all his followers and all in Jerusalem and all of the Jews. So you can wait for next week for that. But the sentiment is, as long as there's life, there's hope. There have been certain individuals who have gone out from among us in this church and they have blasphemed the name of the Lord. Some continue to do so. And I know that among some of our social circle of Christians, they've been written off. And, and they've been, no, you know what? They're reprobates. They can never come to repentance. And I'm like, I don't know. What if they're a prodigal? As we'll see in chapter 15. What if they're a prodigal? Let's, let's just hold fire on the jury right now. Let the Lord have his way. And let's just keep praying for them. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Amen. And so, this is what Christian community is to look like. Last section, counting the cost. Verses 57 to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The reality is that following Jesus will cost us something. In this situation, we see the first person who was volunteering themselves to follow Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Because in their mind, the Messiah was going to come he was going to roll into Jerusalem, establish the fulfillment of the, the, the prophesied kingdom. He would be the king on the throne. And so who doesn't want to be beside the king on his throne? There are those who would come to Jesus for comfort. Who would come for luxury. Who would come for good times. Jesus says, I don't know what you're looking for, you know. I don't know where you think I'm going. Because even foxes and birds are doing better than me. Foxes have got their holes and birds have got their, their nest. I haven't got any five-bedroom, double-garage house that I call a residence, let alone a palace. So if you're following me, you better be prepared 
for hardship. Now that's quite counter to the Christianity that is often promoted today, where it's just another means of getting your, I wouldn't even say needs, but your greeds met. Once upon a time, they used to speak of the old rugged cross. That kind of rugged, that old and rugged cross that would give you splinters when you try to put it on your shoulder. Today, we've got the Black and Decker smoothed out, varnished, luxury edition with padding. That's the kind of cross we want. Well varnished, lacquered, velvet. Padding. Listen. Coming to the Lord for comfort is a myth. Because until he does come and consummate the kingdom, and until such a time, we will go through challenges. We will go through hardship. Another came and said, Lord, in response to the invitation to follow him, I need to go and bury my father first. And this is, this is somewhat reminiscent of the, 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 the parable that's yet to come, the parable of the prodigal son. You know the real offense of the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal son goes to his dad and says, Dad, give me my inheritance. When do you normally get an inheritance? Basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't rate you. Just give me my things, let me go. Imagine the audacity. Give me my... I wish you were dead. And in this instance, we see, again, a similar sense. Because Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their dead. And it sounds kind of cryptic. And there's a spiritual undertone to it. But on a practical level... Actually, there was something very practical Jesus was saying. Because the man's dad wasn't dead yet. It wasn't a funeral that he was going to arrange. Which is why Jesus said, let those who are basically as dead as your dad take care of your dad. Your dad isn't dead. And so let those who are just like him take care of him. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so in a natural sense... He was calling out the, 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 the sense in which this person wanted to go and make themselves secure first. Because once their dad had passed and was buried, they would get their inheritance and then feel like I'm now secure enough. I don't, I don't need to be concerned about what my needs might be. And so I can now go, having secured my, 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 my future and my generational wealth, because that's what we we want to talk about, right? Generational wealth. Jesus said, no, 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 no. The kingdom needs to be proclaimed now, not when you're secure and everything. And, you know, for some of us, it's like, Lord, I'll really live for you once I get the bag. Once once I've got that money and, and then I'll begin to live for you. Once I've secured my family and once I've got the house and I've paid off the mortgage, then I'll really live for you. Jesus says to you, go now and proclaim the kingdom. The last one. 
Let me go and say farewell to those at home. And we get this sense of Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Because Lot's wife was known for what? Leaving Sodom and looking back. Amen. Turning back. And what happened when she turned back? She got turned to a pillar of stone. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you've got longing for your people, if, if your loyalty is to your people over me, then you know what? You've got it wrong. You're not fit for the kingdom. Your loyalty must be first to the kingdom of God. I, I saw a clip this week of a preacher who said, look, I had to tell my children, I'm neither for you or nor against you. I am for the Lord. And as long as you're for the Lord, I'm for you. And whenever you're not for the Lord, I can't be for you. I still love you, but I'm going to tell you that I'm not about what you're about. That sounds challenging in our culture. Where we're ready to accommodate, where we're ready to elevate, exhort our children, exhort our parents. I remember when Judith and I um, said we wanted to get married and we got opposition. Well, you're young. I mean, we were young. We were 20. Well, we were even 20 at the time when we started talking about it. And so there was, there was right for caution. But our, our concern and our desire was to, to, to glorify God. We just wanted to embody the kingdom. The reality of who the Lord is had transformed our lives and we just wanted to live in his way and according to his word. And We were young and we were naive, but we were zealous for the Lord. And if we had listened to the opposition, maybe we wouldn't be here today. And yet, loyalty must first be to the Lord and his kingdom over and above. Parents, children, loved ones, friends. <clears throat> Are you ready to put the Lord first? Are you willing to recognize the King in all his greatness? Despite the opposition that comes against his name. I was talking to someone this week who's local. They um, joined our, our pioneer program at London City Mission, and they're from a local church in Brockley, and somebody that I'd had um, uh, some interaction with previously, and he, he's part of the organizing committee of um, some local, um, uh, sort of like, one's a local fair and another one's a, a local arts festival that um, uh, happen out on the street, and... He said, you know what, as we talked about the possibility of collaborating and getting involved in these local um, uh, community events, he said, one of the things that you ought to know is that being in this area, especially with Goldsmiths University down the bottom, he said, this area is so anti-Christian. They are anti-God. So... Just know that if you're going to come and get involved and, and want to be a Christian in these spaces, you're going to 
face opposition because they are so, and he kept repeating it. I said, yeah, bro, that's the best place for us to be. That's where, that's where we need to be. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the conquering king. It's just like, people are, are bright. They really think that they're something. But Jesus is something. He's conquered. We see how he was transfigured. We see how he's commanding demons. We see how he's been raised from the dead. Jesus is Lord. And if God before you, you know, this, this like, this, this fear of cancellation. I, I love it when I see those public figures who are like, I don't care if you cancel me. I, I, who was it I saw um, the other day talking about raising his children? Uh, Neil. He said, I've got five children. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to entertain any conversation about them being um, transgender and, and, and um, wanting to go through gender reassignment. They're children. And whilst other people may want to do that for themselves, that's up to them. But as for me and my house, we're not going to entertain that. Amen. And everybody's talking about, ah, oh, cancel Neil. And he's kind of like, you know what? They're my children, not yours. See, following Jesus will cost us something. And yet, even in the face of such opposition, we are to have loving humility. Loving humility. That responds to the haters, not with hate. Not with fire, but with love. So I'm going to um, ask the team to uh, come and... Uh, Join us at the front. Join me at the front. <clears throat> I'm going to invite us to stand. And um, let me just challenge you somewhat. Where is the cost of following Christ evident in your life? You know, in the garden, when God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit... It actually says that the fruit was good for food. It was good fruit. And so it wasn't the, 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 the nature of the fruit it, that was bad. It was the principle of going against God's will. Even after something that is good and beneficial. And there are things in my life, there are things in your life that the Lord would say, you need to count the costs and be ready to sacrifice that in order to esteem me as Lord. Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it loyalty? Could be a multitude of other things. But we must be prepared to count the costs. Despite the fact that we live in a culture where actually people are more concerned with Jesus following them than following Jesus. They want to add Jesus to one of their followers on their different platforms. Follow me and take care of me. Follow me and bless me. Follow me and, and protect me. Go before me. Sort out my enemies. <clears throat> and in doing so, putting themselves at the center of the universe.
But Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we read the eyewitness testimony of those who walked with him, we're challenged to esteem him and give him the the honor that is due to his name in our lives. Maybe you're here and you've never submitted to Christ as Lord of your life. He challenges you, come and follow me. He gave his life for you so that you could know eternal life. And so, let's pray. I'm going to invite us to stand. Lord, we thank you that you have purposed to take us on a journey of transformation. One that would see us come to a place of total surrender and even repeatedly knowing that there are things in our lives that cause us to be distracted, things that cause us to be disillusioned, things that seek to obstruct our view of you as the Most High, things that might take precedence in our heart. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to that place where we are submitted unto you totally and fully. Even if it's at the risk of cancellation, even if it's at the risk of being ostracized and being shamed or humiliated, may our loyalty be to you even over ourselves. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have revealed yourself and that you are trustworthy because you have so much better for us than we can secure for ourselves. You have so much better for us than we could ever try and purpose for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to move among us, to work in our hearts and lives. Continue to transform us, Lord, as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.